Well, good morning, friends. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just delighted that you're here with us today. Happy Sunday to you. I'm so thankful that you're here. We're ready for our time of preaching. Let me encourage you, if you would, to take your Bible in whatever form you have it. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1 today in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1 is where we will launch from in just a second. Colossians 1, you can find your place, find your place there. Also, a tool that we use to help our time through God's Word is the sermon notes. You can find those on the homepage of the app that, uh, that Josh repeatedly mentioned for us just a minute ago. Or you can find a hard copy, uh, hard copy uh, note sheet at the table on the back. Uh, either one, it's the same in, it, in either case, and they'll be, they'll be helpful for you. We're coming to the end today of a, of a three-week series on holiness uh, we've been talking together about holiness, uh, about God's holiness and our holiness. We've tried to start out the year 2024 by doing this. And, and holiness, even, even when you hear the word, it's a very religious word. It's a, it really is a church word. And so we tried to, we, we've done our best to provide a definition. So when we say holiness, we mean to be morally blameless. To be holy is to be separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. So we've been talking, uh, we've made two points, and now we're going to make the third on this third week, and next week we'll move on to something else. We've been talking about God's holiness and our holiness. And, and we've, we've discovered that the two are different, but are inseparable. God's holiness and our holiness, our effort, God, God's moral character and our pursuit of moral character, are, they're different but they're, but they're inseparable. So, so we learned that God alone, it, uh, it, of, of everything that exists in this world and in this universe, which is to say everything that he himself has made, he alone carries the designation holy, holy, holy. He is in a category all his own. He has no rivals. He has no equals, and I'm so happy about it. I can give my life to him. He will catch my imagination. He will lay hold of my allegiance. And then we learned that this same God looks at us and says, looks at his people and says, be holy for I am holy. And we learned this importantly last week from Pastor Phil. We learned that the call of the Bible to God's people is not to be as holy as God is holy. That's impossible. He's morally perfect. But we can be holy in the same way that he is. He is perfect in holiness, but we, by his grace, make progress in holiness. It really has more to do with our orientation, with our direction, with where we are running. And then we importantly learned that nothing that we're talking about in this short series, particularly last week and this week, the two that are the most, I guess, that are the most practical, I hope to be very practical today, are, are everything we're talking about is within our reach. God's commands are not burdensome. What he doesn't do is put something out in front of his people and say, nah, nah, <laughs> that doesn't sound good at all. That's not what he's like. He says, let me help you. Let me, God gives grace to do his will, friends. And he gives forgiveness for all the times that we don't. We need to hold on to that thought today. 
And because of this, we are called to holiness. Now, today what I want to do is answer one simple question. How do we practically pursue holiness? I want to give five answers to that question. And I want to start the tone, set us off, in Colossians chapter 1. Would you stand as you are able? We, we do this to, give, uh, to signal honor to the Bible. We're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to read together verses 9 and 10. So the words are on the screen, and we're all best to look there, so we're all reading in the same, the, uh, the same translation. Colossians 1, verse 9, these are the words of God. Let's start reading together now. For this reason we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is God's word. Let's ask him for help as we look to it. Lord, these things are possible. They're all within our reach. We can bring you pleasure. This is what we want. And if it's not what we want, over the course of this sermon, would you change what we want? We all want something. We all desire something. Our life is really our desires. So Lord, by your grace and through your word, direct us, lead us, guide us, challenge us. We can, be, we can be in union with you and with your son through his finished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and we can be in communion with you on a daily basis. Lord, make it so we pray by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your seats, friends. Thanks. We want to answer today, how do we practically pursue holiness? I want to give five answers to that. Now, just a, little, just a little tip on how to listen. This message is, is what would be called a topical sermon, so what I don't have is uh, you know, 15 verses that I'm just going to work my way through. That's our typical pattern here at Grace, either through a book or through a lengthier passage. I'm going to make points, and then the, the scriptures that we're using are going to pop up on the screen, okay? So you can do your best to find them on your own. That's fine. I'm not going to give time in every case just for the sake of time for everyone to get there. I would just recommend you just look to the screens. Everything I say is going to pop up there, and you can find them. You can find them there. So let's, let's move forward, friends. How do we practically pursue holiness? How do we live as faithful disciples of Jesus? First, first, we must be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're to practically pursue holiness, we must be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're starting in a place that may, not seem, uh, that may seem strange, because it's obvious, but I think it is the case that the things that are obvious, we can dangerously assume. And I don't wanna make an assumption here. The point that I wanna make at the outset to you is the fact that for me to live like a Christian, I have to be a Christian. If you are going to live like a Christian, you have to be a Christian. The point of this series, particularly the last two sermons, which have almost exclusively been about you and me, is not to signal, live like this, and you will earn God's favor and be eternally secure. 
I've never performed well enough to do that. I will never perform well enough to do that. And neither will you. The point is, become a Christian and go live. Earn, see the love so amazing, so divine, that demands now my life, my soul, my all. We must be spiritually transformed before we can pursue holiness. This is, this is what Jesus is doing in John chapter 3. This is where we'll start. In John 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. These should come up on the screen here in just a second. Um, he's having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, okay? And Nicodemus is, a, is a, in, in every category, a man with a cleaned-up life. He had his act together big time. And so he comes to Jesus at night, and he's curious about Jesus, and he flatters him with some, with some words. And Jesus very clearly in John 3, verse 3 says, this is not what I'm concerned about, and we'll talk about spiritual tra transformation. In John 3, verse 3, you see it there. Jesus says to Nicodemus, it says, Jesus answered him and said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus mentions what is called the new birth, also called regeneration, spiritual transformation, deep real, lasting, from the core of who we are, change that is real and visible. And so what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and what he's telling us, this man who had his act together, is that Nicodemus, if you want to make any progress with me, and friend, if we want to make any progress with Jesus, our greatest need is not a new teaching, a new philosophy, a new, a new law, or a new morality. Our greatest need is new life. <laughs> do, not come to, do, not, do not buy into everything that the church offers because you want to live better. You don't need the Holy Spirit to live better. You need the Holy Spirit to be brought from death to life. I've met a ton of moral people. They're wonderful, they're nicer than me, and they're not Christians. It's got nothing to do with it. Spiritual transformation is the other stuff. It changes us from the inside out. Titus 3 speaks of this in a different way. If John 3 is, is this in story form, Titus 3 is this theologically expressed. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, that's Jesus coming, rising, dying, and rising, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the, notice, washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, spiritual transformation, new life. So we must be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in, in order to pursue holiness, in order to draw near to God and be pleasing to him. Now, why, why, why start here? Because again, the point of this, the, of this series of messages has not been live like this and earn God's favor. Now I can become a Christian. That's not the gospel. A truly gospel-centered ministry, an evangelical ministry, is doing everything that it can to direct your attention away from yourself to what God has done. That's the point of a gospel ministry. A gospel ministry says, look somewhere else first, and then go live with new desires and new tastes. Just think about birth. When a baby, I have five, I have five children, when a baby comes into the world, they, they, they're crying, they're screaming, everything's new, things are hot, things are cold, they have new sensations, they see things for the first time, they have desires, they're alive. 
That's what spiritual transformation did to you when you became a Christian, didn't it? So, oh, I don't like that anymore. Oh, yeah, that looks really good. That's the first step to pursuing practical holiness. Then, then we can move on. So my appeal to you is this. Be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're listening closely, I, what you ought to think is, if, if, you, if, if you think, I think God's talking to me right now, uh, be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like something that happens to me. Yes, it is. And you have a role to play. Repent and believe the gospel. Don't wait another moment before putting your trust in Jesus. Then you are empowered to do number two. Number two, in order to pursue practical holiness, we must exert the proper effort. Exert the proper effort, or, be, or maybe better said, we're equipped to exert the proper effort. Let's think about a set of words that the Bible uses to help us understand um, what God's salvation through Jesus is, uh, is really like. So if you're just, you're just reading through the Bible, okay, and, and, you're trying, and you're trying to make sense of how ought I to think about myself as a Christian? Does the Bible, like, does the Bible help me fill in what this is, what this looks like? Can I, put, can I put my hands on this in some way? Can I grab this somehow? It does. You would find words like this. Work. Pursue. Strive. Fight, run, kill, flee, love, forgive, restore, encourage. You would find examples that describe what a Christian is like. You would walk away understanding that as a follower of Jesus, you should think of yourself as a marathon runner, as a patient farmer, and as a committed soldier. Now, all of those images are the opposite of passivity. That's the point here. We must, we must exert the proper effort. Simply put, I will not wander my way into practical holiness. Friends, we will not wake up one day and say, I, with no plan, with no exertion, well, I'm holy unto the Lord. Look at that. You, you won't do it. Don Carson says it very well. This, this quote will be on the screen. It's really, it's really, really good. He says this, same point. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. First Timothy 4, all Carson is doing is explaining the Bible and he's doing it very well. I love his categories. First Timothy 4, starting in verse 7. Paul says this famously, but reject, he tells Timothy, profane and old wives' tales, just don't concern yourself with that, and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, it's good to take care of yourself physically, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that is now 
and which is to come. Now let's linger on that for just a second. Let's put that back up there on the screen one more time, guys. This, th- uh, that word exercise there in verse seven, your Bible may say discipline. That word is where we get our word in English, gymnasium. Now what do you do in a gym? Stretch, move, exert, sweat, run, act. <laughs> You see a guy at the gym, and he's just, he, just, you know, sits, he just sits and reads a book for a few hours? Like, I think you're in the wrong place. Right? Ten more pounds than last time. It's just two more rep, a few more reps than last time. You exert. You discipline yourself for this. You move forward. You want to do better than last time. And, of course, we know Hebrews 12, which pictures the Christian life like a race. I've always, um, I've always admired long-distance runners. Uh, I, I've never been one. Uh, the longest I've done is 10 miles, and I did it once. So, there you go. I, uh, <laughs> speaking of, speak of discipline. Um, but but, I've, but you've, you've uh, the Olympics or whatever, or you're, 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 you ran cross-country or someone you know just does something like that. You've never seen any kind of long-distance runner running in jeans and cowboy boots. Well, why? Because you can't run in those. They make it really hard to run. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I love the word finisher. So much hope in that word. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's the point of Hebrews 12, 1 and and 2? Don't make it hard for you to run. And by the way, weights and sins are different. A weight is, man, I... I don't know if that's a sin, but that's really bugging me. Like it's something on you. Like you keep doing it. You're like, ah, I need to get rid of it. Get rid of it. Don't, don't try to run your race with cowboy boots on. They'll slow you down. Don't, don't run a marathon with a big thick jacket. Run light, Hebrews 12 says. Look to Jesus and make it easy. Trim it down. Get rid of it. The run, it's a marathon, but it's not a, I mean, it's not a long one. I'm here for, I've got, I mean, in the grand scheme of eternity, I've got, I've got 15 minutes left. You know what I'm saying? Like, run with endurance. So we must exert the proper effort. And I want to insert an important category here. All of this talk of effort. Now, now we did this last week, but I want to do it one more time. I think a, I think a well-taught local church hears words from the Bible in the right way. So we've defined holiness. Effort is grace-driven. It's exertion that we play a part in. Let's think about grace for a second. When you hear grace, you need to hear God's favor towards you. You need to hear something you could not earn. You need to hear God moving heaven and earth through his son to save people like us who could not lift a finger to save themselves. You need to hear that. But don't hear it as opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to us earning anything. It's not opposed to us exerting any kind of effort. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, here, listen how Paul talks. This isn't on the screen. Just listen. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, speaking of his life and ministry, he says, I worked harder than any of them. He means the other apostles. 
Not I, he says, but the grace of God that was with me. Hear that? Paul had a motor. Paul, uh, better, Paul had fuel. It was dependent effort. Jerry Bridges calls it dependent effort. We exert. Grace, grace, grace is not worried about effort. Grace has to do with how you hear whether or not you earn something. And if you're a Christian, you didn't earn that. Jesus did. Now go and be who you are. That's the pattern of the New Testament. Okay, so what would effort like this look like? Let me give a couple of examples. Just listen. Let me give a couple of examples. Exerting the proper effort would look like establishing the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer because you believe everything the Bible says about itself and about communion with God. It it, it could look like making, in some cases, hard decisions about family life and family activities in order to make sure that you build your lives as a family around your local church because you know that the best thing that you can give your children is consistent attendance over time at a healthy local church. It would look like taking whatever necessary steps to ensure that you cannot look there, go there, because you know that discipline is required. More on that in just a second. It would look like having believing friends who know you and you know them because you have given them permission to do so. Because you know that you cannot pursue personal holiness by yourself. It would look like putting forward effort to love those around you who are hard to love. And, and I know, look, I know I'm the only one in my life with hard people to love. Like I'm all, I get it. I, it's just me. Just talking to me right now, Okay. Forgiving those who are hard to forgive, and on and on and on. You know, we never think that we're the hard ones to love, though, do we? Every time I read that command, I'm like, yeah, they are hard. Well, somebody else is reading that command about me, probably. A little humility for me, just me. And in regards to exerting effort, there's one area we have to zero in on. Number three, number three. In order to practically pursue holiness, friends, we must be ruthless with remaining sin. We must be ruthless towards and with remaining sin. So if we're going to talk about practical holiness, then we have to talk about, we have to talk about remaining sin, okay? So because of the work of Jesus, believers have a particular relationship with sin as they exist in this world. Here, here's just a way to think about it. Because of Jesus, the believer is already freed from the penalty of sin. Jesus took that on the cross for us. Already, second, the believer is freed from the power of sin. It doesn't constrain and restrict and influence in the way that it once did with no resistance. But third, the believer is not yet free from the presence of sin. So we must reckon with it. This means that in our pursuit of holiness, we must deal with remaining sin. And the Bible is clear as to how. You gotta be ruthless. You gotta be ruthless. You cannot be casual. You gotta go all in on this one. Let's think about it a little bit more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at two passages back to back and then put them together. In Romans 8, it'll come up on the screen. Romans 8, Paul writes to the, to, to the Romans, therefore, br- brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh 
to live according to the flesh. You, you, Paul says, you don't owe your flesh nothing. Stop paying it. Just look at your, your flesh is what remains in you that desires sin and self more than Christ and his glory. Flesh isn't our physical body. It's a nature that remains within us after conversion that desires sin and self. Paul says, stop, you don't owe it, and you don't owe it anything. He talks about it in terms of debts that we owe. That's a powerful idea. If you owe it a debt, if you owe it a debt, you better pay it. He says, you don't owe any debts here. You're not constrained. You're under no obligation to do anything the flesh compels you to do. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's move right on to the next one. Jesus in Matthew 5, talking with his disciples, he says to them, but I say to you, we'll start in verse 29, if your right eye, he says, causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members to perish, then your whole body be cast into hell. He goes on to say the same thing about your hand. If your hand causes you to sin, throw it out, you know, cut it off. It's the same exact thing. What are we learning here? We are learning that a big part of our effort we are to exert has to do with our posture towards sin. Let's linger on Matthew 5 for just a second. I've been asked, and probably maybe you've been asked in some context, um, do you take the Bible literally? When when someone has asked me that, I've always said to them, would you please tell me more? I just want to know what they mean. Because if they mean, do you take the Bible literally as in the Bible from beginning to end in every part down to every word is literally and not metaphorically in some way, I don't know how it would be, the word of God, then yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a biblical, yes, yes, this is what the Bible says, God says. But if what you mean is that I interpret every part of the Bible exactly the same, well, then no. The Bible is filled with all sorts of literary devices that have to be met on their own terms. Does that make sense? Poetry is read... Uh, you, you read 1 Kings different than you read Romans, right? It's just natural. So when Jesus says this in Matthew 5 about cutting out your eye, he doesn't mean... <laughs> that sounds silly, but I need to... He doesn't mean literally gouge out your eye or else he would have a lot of blind disciples, amen? He means go to whatever links necessary. That, I mean, rat, this is spiritual amputation. Cut off the opportunity. Cut it off. Leave it no daylight. Shut the door. End the relationship. Just cut it off. Ruthless. And Paul said, put to death. That is the idea of mortify, mortification. Someone who works in a funeral home, who works around death and prepares for that is called a what? A mortician. We're talking about death here. Death to what? My sin. Now, let's clarify something important. Is Jesus promising total victory over sin and sinning in this life? Because... I mean, after all, okay, so Romans 8, put to death the deeds of the body. Put it to death. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Okay. Well, is he promising victory over all of it? Well, that's an important question to ask because something isn't sort of dead, right? It's not like, it's not like he's been partially dead all day. You know, no coroner in the movie ever came forward and said, uh, so-so. 
Now, someone can be dying, they can be in the process of dying, but they have a pulse or they don't. Paul's not promising total victory in this life. That's a contradiction of Scripture. Remember, he is perfect in holiness. We are making progress. Now, do I think that you can get victory over individual sins? I absolutely do. That's an incredibly hopeful hopeful idea for me as a pastor. Sobriety is possible. It is. Be hopeful. It is. This is This is all within our reach. Don't give up hope. Fighting sin is hard. It's really hard. And he gives you all the grace you need. What we need to understand, Paul and Jesus together, is that we are mistaken if we think that our attitude towards sin in this life can and should be anything other than ruthless. We are mistaken to believe that sin, no matter our age, no matter our gender, whoever we are, sin of thought, word, or deed can be managed, tamed, or handled. It can't be. It simply can't be. Let's go back to this idea of running for just a second. Maybe, maybe you in a room this size, uh, I've, been praying, I've, been praying, I've been praying this thought all week. Maybe you have taken a particular sin, take a particular pattern of thought, word, or deed, and you've made it your jogging partner, and you guys are just off to the races together. And you're just at a good click, in tandem, right in line with each other. I just, I just want to ask you to consider, where is that taking you? Where, where will that jogging partner lead you? Do you see the destination? I don't finally see it either, but it's not good. We would be wise to pause and to consider this. Fourthly, fourthly, if we want to practically pursue holiness, we must be connected to other believers. We must be connected to other believers. Uh, reading, reading through the Bible again, particularly the New Testament, it, it, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, and, and really the case when you're reading the, uh, letters written by Paul to like churches where he's trying to help churches know how to live together, sort out their problems, it becomes very obvious that you actually can't obey the vast majority of what's there unless you're in committed fellowship with other believers. I mean, you just won't have anything to do. They come out like this, love one another, encourage one another, restore one another. Well, that, so, so it isn't thou shalt be a member of a church, thou shalt be in committed. No, but everywhere assumes that we are as Christians. And there is no way to have a message on practical holiness and leave out the fact that personal holiness is a community project. Friends, we need each other. We are God's gifts for each other. Hebrews Hebrews 3, I'll go over this briefly. It talks about exhorting one another every day so that we are not hardened at the end of the verse by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other to not be duped by sin, fooled by sin, tricked by sin. Remember, part of sin's remaining influence in our lives is to blind us to sin's remaining influence in our lives. Galatians 6, so important. It speaks of Someone coming to you, they're overtaken in a trespass. It says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself also, lest you be tempted. Very quickly, I have to say it. You're intended to make a connection in Galatians 6 between restore and gentleness. That word restore means, the word is to set a broken bone. 
Okay, so, so you break, you know, I break this part of my arm, just this part here from my elbow b- up, back up to my hand, and I go to the doctor, and, and he, what's he going to do? He's going to put a cast on it, right? Because that's going to hold my arm in place, it's going to set the bone and make sure it heals properly. Okay, so, so I, if, I, if I went to the doctor and I said, man, I got this, I've got this broken bone, it's, it's, it's a bad deal, and he goes like this, <laughs> did he just help me or hurt me? Okay, restore in what spirit? Gentleness. You can double the discouragement someone has if they come to you and they're caught. I, I, have found, I have found that when someone is genuinely broken, don't add to it. Give them grace, give them the gospel, give them strategies. A spirit of gentleness. And watch yourself, right? You don't, so, so you see the humility, Galatians 6? Watch yourself lest you be tempted. You can be tempted by hearing about someone else's sin. I, I, I need that command. I'm so, I am so weak that you can come to me and I can think I'm so much better because you're telling me about one of your sins and I have all the while forgotten all of mine. We want a different community here than that. So watch yourself lest you too be tempted. Perhaps, my friend, one of the reasons this battle seems so hard is because you're going at it alone. Sin is a mushroom. It loves dark, damp, isolated you bring it out into the light, you would be amazed at what happens to look at another person in the eye. So maybe a conversation this week just needs to happen. It just needs to happen. And this fighting of sin, this isn't the only thing we help each other with. It isn't just the negative. We also help each other pursue the good, don't we? Hebrews says, gather together regularly to spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's why, that's why your community group exists, to encourage one another, to, yes, keep going. There's more of him you have yet to see. Keep moving forward. Psalm 34 verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's a church. Pursue these things with others, friends. Pursue them with others. Fifth, fifth. Friends, if we were to do this, then we must finally maintain the priority of holiness. We need to maintain the priority of holiness. Every movie, no matter how good, has an end. Same with a book, same with a sermon series. Every series ends and we move on as a church. But I think we have something here at the beginning of 2024 that needs to stay. When, when, you, are, when you or me, when we prioritize something in our life, we assign it value. Well, you assign it, typically you assign it, you assign it value, that means time and treasure. <laughs> you prioritize what you give time to and what you spend money on, basically. That's what I've found. And we need to prioritize God's holiness and our holiness. We need to do this. And it, but, but, okay, but how? Well, it, it may not be the way that you think. Um, Something could happen as a result of a message like this. Let's think again about this. The last two weeks, we have almost exclusively thought about us and our behavior. Almost exclusively. Which is fine. Churches need, that, that's, 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 the Bible is filled with imperatives. The book of James, over half of that book is direct commands. Okay, so that's a part of the Christian life. Us being told to do certain things. And, and, and obedience to a good God is always best. Every time. Every time. But what you could have, the result of something like this, is a church filled with people, equipped 
for the work of being too preoccupied with themselves. Even as I say it, it, sound, it just doesn't sound right, does it? But the path to valuing holiness is not an over-preoccupation with self. That can actually be pride. But to be preoccupied with him, the one who gives grace to do his will and forgiveness for when we don't. I'm very eager for you, for you to leave today not thinking simply, God is holy, I'm not, i got to get my act together. And that, that, that just, just by itself, with no mention of motivation or why. <laughs> do your best to try to clean your, to try to clean your life up. On, if you do this, if you do this on your own without the right motivation, if you are preoccupied with yourself and how you are living without the right motivation, you probably have two places you'll end up. Despair because you didn't do well or pride because you did. You're cru- either way, either way, you're not on the right road. And, and, and Pastor Phil and I would love, would love for, for this little three-week series to spark a movement of practical holiness, of drive, of exertion, of love, of work, of run, of killing in all the right ways. We'd love, we would love holiness to unleash God's people, to unleash you, to run and walk and kill for the right reasons, for the grace of God in Jesus Christ your Lord. Because his grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to any of our effort. And I want to help with this right now. On the screen over the next just, just minute or so, there's going to be three questions that are going to be scrolling. Help you apply this. Pastor Michael is going to play lightly over us. I want you to think about these questions. They put them all on, oh, awesome, okay. All on one screen right there. Perfect. Think about these. Think about one of them. You can take a picture of that if you wanted to, okay? No problem. Think about one of them, two of them, all three of them. You're going to be given time right there in your seat. We're not going anywhere to just sit and meditate on what we've heard. Pastor Michael's going to play lightly over us, and then in a, in a minute, not long at all, he's going to step forward and lead us in our final song. After that, I'll end our service. But you consider these and others ways that you can respond personally.